that arrangement took me to another place. I had to, in the middle of it, remind myself that I had to get up and preach in a minute <laughs> because I was in a different place of contemplation. Uh, in our little Christmas uh, sermon series thus far on hope, we have considered two things. First of all, we considered the treasure of hope, that hope is a gift to us given from God, uh, and that it's precious as a treasure that's come uh, from him. And then last week, we looked at the struggle for hope, and we saw the reality of enemies that are allied together to stand against hope. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they don't like it that Christians should have hope, and so they fight against it. And then the, the tragic, the sad experiences that we see and that we experience ourselves in this world, that wages war against hope. And then our own forgetfulness as well, our own forgetfulness of the promises of God, of the works of God, that tends to suck the hope out of us also. So we saw the, the treasure and then the struggle, and today we're going to look together at the exercise of hope, or you could call it the, the discipline of hope. And if you've looked at your bulletins, you'll notice uh, that today, instead of having one passage for our sermon text, I in fact have several, and what I'd like to do for us is read them. I'd kind of like to get them out on the table for us, and then we'll work on putting them uh, together and seeing this picture of the exercise of hope that I think that they and other passages unfold for us. So here, these portions then of the Word of God, I'm going to start in Romans, then I'll go through the Hebrews passages, and then uh, finish up with the First Thessalonians passage that are printed in your bulletin, bottom of page five, and then on to the following page. The word of God. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. From Hebrews 3. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope. Verse 6. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And then Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And finally then from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another 
and build one another up just as you are doing. Great God in heaven, we thank you for your word, for these words that are set before us today. We pray that you would help us to understand them well. We pray that you would help us, in fact, to be a people who grow in our hope as a result of encountering your word and hearing it. And help us with that exact thing this morning as we consider it together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our lives, we have all been told in countless, numerous, wonderful situations to hold on. To hold on well, to hold on tightly, to hold on securely. When your parents put you on a bike or when they first put you in a swing, one of the instructions that they gave to you was hold on. When they threw you up on their shoulders and, and then you were up there or you did this with your own kids, you told the kids, hold on. With your legs, grab my ears, grab my hair, whatever. Hold on. When you held your first fishing rod or your first fish that you had in your hand or, or the first baseball bat or a golf club that you had, you were, you were taught how to hold those things and how to hold on to those things well. And the last image that came to my mind as I was reflecting on this is both one as a child and then one as a parent of the first time taking kids out into the ocean. And you say to them, whether, whether they're on your back, whether they're up in your arms, or whether you're holding them uh, by the hand as you work your way out, hold on. When there's a wave coming, hold on. It's going to be fun, but you have got to hold on to my hand and hold on tightly. In simple terms, the message of this sermon is hold on. Hold on to hope. It has been given to you by God, but like a running back with a football, or not just a running back, but a receiver or a quarterback or anybody who's got the ball in a football game, all sorts of enemies in this world are trying to rip that ball out of your hands. You've been given it, but everybody's trying to get hold of it. I saw a couple of the games yesterday, a couple of the college games, a couple of the pro games. At least I caught a few minutes of them. And I watched as like somebody was running, I can't remember, I think actually the one I'm visualizing right now was a quarterback was running and from behind him, the guys came to tackle him and just slammed the hands down with an effort to get at the ball. If they're in front, they'll punch up in an effort to get the ball dislodged from the carrier. If they've got a couple of them around, one will grab hold of the guy trying to keep him up while the other tries to rip the ball out of their hands. And if it's a single guy coming across the field trying to make the tackle, he'll try and make the tackle so that the helmet hits the ball and dislodges it. Jimmy Johnson was the coach of the Miami Hurricanes, then he was the coach of the Dallas Cowboys, and it's probably heresy in Philadelphia to, uh, to give a quote from Jimmy Johnson, be that as it may. Uh, Jimmy Johnson used to say to guys at, at pivotal points in the game, uh, instead of don't fumble, what he would say to them is hold on to the ball. He didn't even want to put fumble in their brains. He didn't even want that to be the thing. He told them to hang on to the football. And the message today, the message of these passages from Hebrews that I read for us, the message of the sermon is hold on to hope. Hold on to it. There are people who are after your hope. You gotta hold on. Donald Guthrie, 
says this, and I, I think this is really simple and really helpful. Hope is of such a character that it needs tenacity to retain it. It doesn't simply happen, end quote. He's saying it simply. You need to be tenacious with respect to hope. And if you're not, you're going to lose it. If you're not, somebody's going to get it out of your hands. Seize it, grasp it, grip it tightly. Through the storms of life, hope will hold. That's the message of Scripture. It's an anchor that is set well. And an anchor that is set well, even when the storms come, if this is the anchor and, and this is the ship up here, the ship is going to get tossed, right? It's going to go up and down in the waves, and it, it'll pivot all around the chain that connects or the rope that connects to that anchor. But when the anchor is set well, even when those storms come, shaken as we might be, spun around as we might be, the anchor holds. So hope holds, it is set well in trying to, that passage from Hebrews, trying to reverse the metaphor. Of course, the anchor is set in the heavenly place, and the anchor is set up, and the world is perceived as the rocking place. But the anchor is set well, so hold on to that which is set well. Hold on to hope. Now, that metaphor, or that way of visualizing hope, of course, views hope as a noun. Hope is a thing. It's something that you have. It's a gift that has been given to us. But there's another way to consider hope, because hope isn't only a noun, of course. Hope is also a verb. And, and the reality is in Scripture that the hope that is biblically given to us, you've got this, here's the hope, becomes an exhortation that is given to us. There's a responsibility with respect to the gift that has been given. Uh, I didn't put this passage in uh, your bulletin, but I'll read it for you. It was, it was in the bulletin, I think, maybe last week and the week before. But I think we can see this uh, clearly in the book of 1 Peter and even in the first chapter of 1 Peter. So here's the verse that we looked at, 1 Peter 1, 3, at least two weeks ago. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, so in this case, this is a living hope. This is the thing that has been given to us, and it has been given to us through the new birth and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the hope given to us. And now, but if you look just a little bit farther, and, and, and then turn to the front of your bulletin, because this passage is now on the front of your bulletin. But just a few verses later then, Peter basically gives a therefore, in light of that, therefore, and, and 1 Peter 1.13 on the front. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, those are two participles, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you've thought about these things, when you've considered these things, now you've got work to do. You've got an action that you have to take. In fact, it's an imperative in the original. Hope. Set your hope fully on that which is coming, that which is going to be revealed to you in the day of Christ Jesus. We should hope. 
So again, on the front of your bulletin, just to illustrate this uh, a little bit more, last week uh, we considered Psalm 130. It was our call to worship uh, last week. This week, uh, from Psalm 131, I quoted almost the exact same thing that's found in Psalm 130. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Hope here is a verb. It's an imperative. It is a command, a, a desire on the part of the psalmist, not only for himself, but for all of Israel. Say, listen, everybody, from this time forth and forevermore, hope in the Lord. Or, and, and we'll come back to this in just a moment, what we see in Psalm 42 and some Psalm 43. In this case, the psalmist isn't addressing Israel, saying hope in the Lord to Israel. But instead, the psalmist is addressing his own soul, right? So you can have a, a big audience, all of Israel, that you're saying hope in the Lord, or you can have just your soul, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's an imperative, once again, in that place. So, so let me try now to assemble these things. Let me, let me put these ideas together. Biblical hope is given to us by God through the new birth. It is not something that is within us or something that we can naturally conjure up. It is a gift that we receive. But when we look closely at the Bible, when we look closely at the passages that I've just mentioned, that I've just read for us, what we also see is that it is also a gift which we are to employ. There is something that is enjoined upon us with respect to that gift. As a noun, here's the responsibility. As a noun, here's the responsibility. Hold it fast. Hold on to it. Okay? Cling to it. As a verb, here's the responsibility. Use it. Use it. Do it. Hope. Fight for hope. Uh, maybe, the, maybe an easy way to picture this is that passage from 1 Thessalonians 5, which is so vivid for us. Having put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. Think about that for a moment. The helmet of salvation is referenced in Isaiah 59, a passage that we've looked at a couple of times over the past couple of weeks where God says he himself will come and he will put on the helmet of salvation. And then Paul uses that as an exhortation with respect to the spiritual armor in Ephesians chapter 6, right? Put on the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation. But here he amplifies and he clarifies it just a little bit. It's not just the helmet of salvation. It's the helmet of the hope of salvation. Because salvation is for us a present reality, but it's not finished, right? This isn't it with respect to our salvation. There is, wonderfully, more to come with respect to our salvation. So the, the helmet that you've got to wear in this world is a helmet that is, praise God, for the salvation that exists now, that Jesus has accomplished now, and it's a helmet of the hope of salvation, something that we should use, something that we should wear, we should put it on, and then we should exercise it. We need eternal hope for our lives now. We need hope in the future for a godly life in the present. Perhaps, then, it's helpful for us to think of hope 
or at least a few moments as a muscle. As a muscle. A, a spiritual muscle to be exercised, to be strengthened, and to be trained in discipline. That's where the title of the sermon comes from, the, the exercise of hope. Now, if we went to a personal trainer and we said, hey, can you give us some advice about uh, you know, how, we can, how we can train well, how we can prepare well, they might have specific things that are targeted for specific parts of the body. Now, they'd say to us, surely, uh, that whatever you do, you gotta have some cardio, right? And you gotta strengthen your core. Your back hurts, strengthen your core. You wanna play sports, you gotta strengthen your core. Everything you gotta strengthen your core. Well, if we've got a core, that core that we've gotta strengthen is faith, hope, and love. Now, those are, those are the, the core elements that have to be strengthened in us. A lot of stuff in our lives hangs on those three things, faith, hope, and love. And so there are exercises that you can do to target specific muscle groups, right? You go to a physical therapist because you've had surgery. The physical therapist doesn't just say to you, do jumping jacks. The, the, the therapist will say, all right, what's going on? What's the problem? How, how do I target this particular problem and work on that particular issue, rehabbing perhaps a muscle that is atrophied because you haven't been using it very much recently because of an injury or because of an accident? So here's what I want to do, and I'm going to do this quickly, but I, I think we can do it. I want to give you some exercises as if I were the personal trainer, exercises that target the muscle of hope in particular. Now, admittedly, uh, these are kind of full body exercises. Uh, you can use them for a lot of different things, but you can also target them and tailor them. And that's what I want to talk about now. How do you target hope? Well, here's the first exercise. It won't be surprising to you, I hope. The first exercise is get into the Word. Get into the Word of God. Okay, Romans 15.4. That's the passage that's on page five. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The psalmist in Psalm 119 says, in your word, I hope. Now, all of us appreciate, I trust, that the Bible is given to us for any number of reasons. The Bible is given to us so that our faith might grow, so that we might practice good works for that which is uh, profitable for reproof and correction, for teaching, for training in righteousness. There are all sorts of good reasons that the Bible is given to us and that we ought to be a people of the word. But what Paul is saying is, listen, don't miss a big picture for the trees here. The big picture is all of this that is written, all that you're holding in your hand was, was given to you so that you might be a people who have hope. And that's an encouragement to us to get into the Word. Now, let me, let me clarify this one step farther as, as, a, as a trainer. If you're looking at the Word of God and you say to me, Pastor, I'm struggling with hope, and I'm going to give you something that is tailored for hope in particular, I'm not going to say to you, hey, why don't you memorize the Ten Commandments? Okay? Because the Ten Commandments aren't necessarily designed for hope. Now, if you tell me you're struggling with something else, I might say, hey, the, the fifth commandment is really good with if you're struggling with a relationship with your parents or something like that, I might say. But I'm not going to give you the Ten Commandments as the antidote for hope, as the way to target your hope muscle. What I'm going to give you are the promises of God because hope feeds on the promises of God. That's what we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks. So I don't give you the Ten Commandments, but I might give you 
preface to the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the land of bondage, the place of slavery. I might give you Lamentations chapter 3 that we looked at last week. This I recall to mind, and therefore I have hoped the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I, I might give you Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I might give you all sorts of passages from Romans chapter 8 for you to lay them up in your mind, to store them up in your heart so that you can call them to mind when you are feeling hopeless. I'm going to read a couple of times this morning from uh, J.C. Ryle, the great English preacher of uh, the uh, 19th century. He writes this, Men wonder sometimes that ministers press them so strongly to read the Bible. They marvel that we say so much about the importance of preaching and urge them so often to hear sermons. Let them cease to wonder and marvel no more. Our object is to make you acquainted with God's word. We want you to have a good hope. And we know that a good hope must be drawn from the scriptures. And then he goes on. The queen in her palace and the pulper in the workhouse, the philosopher in his study and the child in the cottage each and all must be content to seek living water from the Bible if they are to have any hope at all. Honor your Bible. Read your Bible. Stick to your Bible. There is not on earth a scrap of solid hope for the other side of the grave which is not drawn out of the Word. Now, that's a simple thing to say, right? But, but being in the Word can strengthen your hope muscle as you feast on the promises. Here's a second exercise for us. A couple of weeks ago, I had on the front of the bulleted uh, a prayer or a part of a prayer from Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. He's praying for the church in Ephesus, and then it, it, we, we read this in verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance and in the saints. Pray for hope. What Paul is praying for the people of Ephesus is that they would be a people, a church, characterized by hope. You can pray, and prayer in general helps a lot of things, but you can pray specifically for hope when you are hopeless or when you are feeling despair. And you can ask your friends, would you pray? Would you pray that I would be full of of hope. Prayer is the second exercise. Here's the third exercise for us. The third exercise is connected to especially uh, the passages from Hebrews and Hebrews 10 in particular. Hebrews 10, 23, page 6 of your bulletin. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. This is the third. Hold fast the confession. Earlier in Hebrews, he wrote these words. He said, let us hold fast our confession. Now here, we recognize and appreciate, I trust, that there is a, we'll call it a subjective or an experiential aspect to hope, right? We all get that. We all understand that. It is that experiential element through which or by which we say things like, I feel hopeful. I'm, I'm experiencing hope or I don't feel 
hopeful anymore. But this experiential aspect of hope needs to be grounded in the faith, confessed and understood. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is getting at. There is an experiential aspect of it, no doubt. That's part of understanding what hope is. But in order to have that, you've got to have something underneath of that, namely the good confession. The good confession is the thing that's under there. And listen, again, let's just for clarity's sake, recognize that we're not talking about here the confession of sin. But instead, what he's saying is you have got to have a good, solid, rich grasp on the things of God, on, on the good news of the gospel, on the truth about God. And that's why week after week, and I hope in your homes as well, as you look at the shorter catechism together, we confess the faith. And as we do so, here's what we're doing. We are creating and we are deepening the neural pathways that exist in our minds that carry for us not only the content of our faith, they do indeed do that, but traveling along those same pathways shortly after the content of the faith, maybe a, a next car in the train, is hope. Hope is traveling along those pathways also as you get these things into your mind, as your mind is furnished so that you can explain, the mind can understand why it is that I am hopeful. What's the reason for the hope? A good confession. My hope for you is that on those dark nights of the soul, or those dark days of the soul, when you wake up in the middle of the night and you feel uncomfortable and you feel discomforted, I hope that sometimes without even thinking about it, that what comes to your mind is, what's your only comfort in life and death? And I'm not my own, but I belong, body and soul, and life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He's fully paid for all my sins and set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. I hope those things just pop. That at some point when you're struggling, you're going, I don't know what I believe. I don't know whether I believe or not. What's What's the point of believing something says to you, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, the only Son of the Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell the third day. He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of God the Father, Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. I hope it comes to you without even thinking about it. That just it's there and you realize wait that's the good confession I hope when you're wondering what's the purpose of my life what am I what am I supposed to be doing anyway that some voice pops up inside of you and says the chief end of man or man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever you furnish up the mind with the good confession and you build into that good confession and that builds hope that's, that's not just subjective. That's the objective stuff, the good confession. Okay, uh, number four exercise. Sorry, that was a longer one. Number four exercise, encourage one another. Hope does not flourish in isolation. That's why this time of uh, quarantine is so difficult for us. Because hope doesn't work well in this setting. It struggles and it shrivels. I need your encouragement. You need my 
encouragement. Uh, we, we just looked at that Hebrews 10 passage, Hebrews 10, 23, the, the, the good confession. You know what comes immediately after that. What comes immediately after that is, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? The day of Christ Jesus. The day for which we are hoping. And that's the same point that Paul makes there in the First Thessalonians chapter 5 uh, section as well, where he comes to the end, and he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Why? Because the day is coming. You're in the day now. You're not in the dark. You're not in the night. You're in the day now, and the day is coming. The day of the glory of Christ Jesus. So encourage one another. We need each other to maintain hope, to exercise that muscle. It's, it's, it's like a seesaw. You, you can't do a seesaw by yourself. It is a very boring, uneventful, unpleasant event to try and seesaw by yourself. To exercise the muscle, hope requires other people. There's no other way to do it. And that's not a weakness. It is the way God has designed us. All right, fifth exercise is soul searching or soul conversing. Psalm 42, 43. The psalmist recognizes that in his awful situation, what he needs is hope. And what he doesn't have is hope. Right? He, he, he needs hope, but what he has is despair. And, and so he finds himself in this quandary and begins this dialogue, right? The dialogue between the mind and the soul in the presence of the Lord. We need to talk about this, is what he says. It's a, it's a personal soul conversation that takes place, and it's an honest one, right? It's got the integrity of the struggle. It doesn't just pretend, well, everything's well, I should just be a hopeful person and everything's good. Instead, what it says is, my soul is downcast. Verse 9 of that psalm, it says, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning? In Psalm 43, why have you rejected me? But it doesn't stop there. Because the mind is furnished with the knowledge of God, with the remembrance of God. And, and, and so the psalmist goes to that, and he pours it into that particular place, that gap. He pours it onto the despair. And he's looking for experiential hope in God. The sixth exercise is simply to recognize that in the work of sanctification, there is much hope. The more you put sin to death in your life, the more you put on righteousness, the more you are going to taste of and experience hope in your life. That's what is being said to us in 1 Thessalonians 5. The more we live in sobriety, the more we live in the light of day and walk that way, the more we are going to experience the reality of wearing on our heads the helmet of the hope of salvation. Now, there are other hope exercises that you could do that we could talk about. Uh, worship comes to mind as one. Singing comes to mind as another important exercise of hope. The sacraments uh, come to mind as well as another way of saying, what, what has God given 
to strengthen hope. But these six will do for us for now. Remember those other. The point is this. The point is that the hope that we have is dynamic and not static. I think that's what's being said and shown to us in Scripture. The reality is hope can wane. And the good news is hope can also wax as well. It can wane, it can diminish over time, or it can wax. It can be built up, it can be made stronger than it is. You are not condemned to hopelessness. You don't have to stay in hopelessness. You don't have to stay in the place where you say, my life isn't just very good. I'm just kind of a hopeless person, and that's just kind of the reality of who I am. God wants you to abound in hope, and you're allowed to believe that, and you're allowed to pursue that. <laughs> you're commanded to, actually. J.C. Ryle, again, puts it like this. The hope of the Christian is a very delicate plant. It is an exotic from above. It's not a plant of natural growth. It is easily chilled and nipped by the cold frosts of this world. Unless watered and tended carefully, it will soon dwindle away to a mere nothing, scarcely to be felt or seen. Beware that Satan does not steal it away for a season. Beware that you do not lose sight of it by giving way to inconsistencies and by conformity to the world. Examine it often, hope he's still talking about, examine it often and make sure that it is not becoming dim. Keep it bright by daily carefulness over your temper, thoughts, and words. Keep it healthy by hearty, fervent, and continual prayer." End quote. If I could tweak Ryle, which is very dangerous to, uh, to tweak Rob, but if I could tweak it just a bit, I would want to say that the tree of hope is a bit sturdier than the delicate plant, as Ryle uses in, in his metaphor here. I mean, it's founded on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's implanted into you by the Holy Spirit through the new birth. It's, it's a good rootstock. It's a solid trunk that is there. But I, but I think the point is clear, right? You have to tend your hope. You have to exercise it. You have to care for your hope. And if you don't, it'll shrivel up. Uh, Calvin puts it this way, and this is Calvin when he's commenting on uh, Lamentations chapter 3, where we were last week, when he's talking about the, the, the prophet there having lost hope and being in despair. He, he addresses the saints. He says, let us then learn from this passage that the faithful are not free from despair, for it enters into their souls, but that there is yet no reason why they should indulge despair. On the contrary, they ought courageously and firmly to resist it. Despair will enter your soul. That's what he's saying. It's, it's going to happen. It happens to all the faithful. There will be times when you are in despair. What he is saying is, don't indulge that. 
You don't have to indulge it. What you have to do is fight against it. And this is kind of counterintuitive, but, but I think what we sometimes do with our despair, with our hopelessness, is we coddle it. It's, it's strange, but we kind of accept it, and we kind of wear it, and we just kind of let it hang around in our lives, because maybe that feels more real to us than being a hopeful person, but something about it allows us to kind of hold on to it and say, yeah, that's who I am. That's just kind of the way my life is, kind of a hopeless person in a world of happy people. The point here is exactly the opposite of that. The, the enemies of hope, indeed, they are real. Hope is hard. Hope is a struggle. But our hope is well-grounded. It, it's secure. It's in Jesus himself. And so, brothers and sisters, here's my encouragement to come back to where we started to uh, as we began the sermon. Exercise hope and hold fast to it. Hold fast to the hope that has been given to you. Let's pray. Lord, we, we, we ask that you would help us to do exactly that. You have granted to us hope. We are dependent upon you for it. And we pray then that you would grant us the strength to hold it fast and to exercise it. That our lives would be characterized by a fervent, strong expectation confidence and assurance that, Jesus, you are coming back, that all will be well with our soul in that day, and that now we've got the down payment on things being well. Lord, we pray that you would help us with that. Fill us with hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.